Yeah, it's good to be back here with y'all. And uh, the testimony of not everybody is open, not everybody's willing to chat, but some are. And that's what Jesus did everywhere he went. And that's a key strategy in, in discipling people, is you, whatever community you go into, you pray, you pray, and you look for a friendly face. And uh, ask the Holy Spirit, where are you moving? To whom are you speaking? And uh, Jesus, uh, and the Holy Spirit will pick the most un, uh, um, unlikely people, people that we typically wouldn't choose. So for Jesus, it was Zacchaeus, who was up on the tree, a tax collector, the scum of the earth, and Jesus, aha, a friendly face. I'm going to go be, stay with you. Uh, Matthew, a tax collector, and he says, ah, yeah, I'm going to stay with you. Um, women, and he was just the Samaritan woman at the well, married five times and living with somebody that's not her husband, and he saw her a, a friendly face in her. And she says, you're not judging me. You're not, do you know who I am? Do you, did you forget who you are? Um, he says, no, I, I know who I am. And she says, but then you must have forgotten who I am because your people don't talk to my people. We feud. And so there's a key point there in finding a friendly face. And that's the key. And you never know what God's going to do with it. Father, I thank you for this morning and the privilege of sharing here today. And I pray that you will be glorified and you, Father, that we'll be encouraged. Thank you. So today I'm talking about living the life you were meant to live, the life of beauty and harmony. Did you know that if you want to drive a nail in, you could use this? Did you know that'll drive a nail in for you? Mm, a little bit. <laughs> But you can drive a nail in with this. Did you know that? You probably can't use it as a phone after that. <laughs> but you could drive a nail in with it. Um, and, and that's how it is. And if, and if what you have is a hammer, if all you have is a hammer, then everything looks like a nail, right? Because that's all you have is a hammer. And so you, you use the hammer. But we have different gifts and different anointings that are there. So by God's grace, years ago I... God put it into my heart to train leaders. I wanted to train leaders, and I, anytime I wanted to train leaders, they says, who do you think you are that you, you train us? What makes you so special? So I realized I wasn't. And uh, I, we were in Burundi, and they says, what would you like to do? So I'd like to train the pastors and encourage them. And he said, mom, you got nothing to offer. Okay. So I went back home, and um, the Lord says to me, Dave, who's in front of you? Who's the person in front of you? Why don't you start there, okay? And so my official job has been to drink coffee. <laughs> I do it rather well. I make a mean cup of coffee. And the, the point of it is that when people came into our fellowship here in Steinbeck or wherever, I just... I give them my card and I say, hey, if you ever want to do coffee, you give me a call, we'll have coffee. And then in the conversation, um, I want to find out what is, it, what is it that God has put into this person? Is this a hammer? Is this a screwdriver? What is this? What has God put into it? And I've discovered that most of us don't have a hot clue of why we're here. 
And so I like to discover what is it that is in this person? What do you think God has called you? What do you like to do? And then I go, what really bugs you in, in life? What things, when they go wonky? And what would you do to change it? And how can I help you with that? Simple conversations, and they're, they're one-on-one. And this is what Lynn and I do. That's our life. We do it everywhere we go. And Jesus says, as you go, make disciples. So that's what we do. And the word of living the life you are meant to live, if you use this as a hammer, it's not going to work well for you. I can tell you. So we get to Rwanda, the church of 2 million members and 3,300 chapels. and It's a holiness church. Do you know what holiness church is? Well, for me, it was like, I grew up with these people. They're Zummerfelders. <laughs> yeah, I know you guys. And the rules are that women always had to wear a long dress, never ever anything but long dress. All sport was sin. And for us, it was, well, on Sunday, you don't do sport. And so it was, and I go, I know you people. I, I know what this is. And they were taught, discipling people was, you dress this way, you do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that. And I go, I grew up with do this, don't do that. How do you get two million members in a church of do this, don't do that? So then I just, I, I like to ask questions. And so we ask questions and we discover that the, the average age in, in Africa, on the African continent, is 19. 19 years old. And so I asked the church, what is your strategy for the youth and the children? He said, well, Sunday school. And then I said, and then preaching. Yeah. I said, how's that working? I said, and if it doesn't work, you just preach louder, right? Bang on the pulpit. How's that working? It's not. But the fellow that walked in to Steinbeck to have coffee was John Paul Seneza. And he has a passion for discipling children. And he went back to Rwanda and he wants to disciple children. And so by God's grace with different connections, we got into soccer. You throw a soccer ball on the pitch over there and 15 minutes later, you got 100 kids. And so, but it's sin. The church says this is sin. And I'm not going to fight the church. So I just asked John Paul, I says, what's the Lord telling you to do? Does scripture say that it's sin? So the long and short of it was that he started and, and we met with the church leaders and, and I, I had a pen in my hand and I asked the legal representative if the pen was good or bad. He said, well, it's good. And then I grabbed him by the throat and I went like this. And he says, wait a minute, it's bad. I said, what made it bad? He says, you did. Because a soccer ball is a soccer ball. What makes it good? What makes it bad? TV is a TV. What makes it good? What makes it bad? You decide. Whatever said thing that is bad, what makes it good? What makes it bad? And so they repented as a church and as a nation. And so now it's going pretty good. Um, the whole church has says we want to have our children discipled into Jesus Christ on the soccer field in every one of our schools in Rwanda. And so we're just getting started. We're in 40 communities. 
We have 150 coaches trained at level one and some at level two, FIFA qualified coaches, in, in discipling the kids. And the rules we have is we will come and disciple the kids in your school, but we walk on the, on the soccer field with the Bible. If you don't want the Bible, we don't come. And so in, the world is nuts about soccer. So we're doing pretty good now. We got 5,000 children um, in this program specifically. And then all the other schools and churches in Rwanda said, we like what you're doing. Can you do this with our kids too? Can we partner with you? Can you train our youth in this discipling of the children? Okay, we can do that. And then three weeks ago, the largest denomination in Rwanda, the head kahuna, called John Paul and says, can you train our kids too? We have 140 schools in Kigali City. Can you disciple our children? He was the priest of the Roman Catholic Church. He says, can you come and do this with our kids? Whose idea was this? Surely not mine. Surely not. But if you just ask God, what do you want to do with what you put into me? And then just keep going. It's amazing what happens. So then Ambassadors Football officially drops the kids after about age 13. I says to John Paul, John Paul says, I don't like it. That's not, I don't like it. It's okay. What are you going to do? So he came up with a plan. The long and short of it was that the schools have a competition. And we have a lot of kids that we work with that are, they don't know who they are. Literally. They were born, they were thrown in a bush. They have no identity. Who makes trouble in your society? That one. Have no identity. Well, they have identity in Christ. We're family, we're together. So just three weeks ago, our team of rejects and nobodies playing in competitions ended up becoming national champions for schools in Rwanda. These nobodies. And now they're going and representing Rwanda at the African Games. And the head of FIFA says, can your coaches come and coach our kids? Because what you do is different from anybody else. See, everybody cheats on the age and on whatever, but you don't. Everybody just wants to win no matter what, but you don't. You come with character first. Character. So it's incredible. What I'm telling you is I'm from Yatzid, middle of nowhere, and if God says, Dave, if you'll just have coffee with the guy in front of you and see what happens, that can happen. And John Paul, who's a nobody from nowhere, it's just so, we are two nobodies from nowhere. Let's see what happens. And so now Kenya, the church from Kenya came and says, we have 7,500 churches in Kenya. Why can't we do this with the nation in Kenya? Yeah, why can't we? In Liberia, Muslim nation, the president says, why don't you do this with our kids in Liberia? Yeah, why don't we? Isn't that nuts? Living the life you are meant to live. We don't have to take a bungee jump or jump out of an airplane. Life is exciting enough on our own. The life of beauty and harmony in relationship with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Does anybody here identify as First Nation or Indigenous? No? Okay. That's fine. I still love you. 
Um, I, I have some First Nations friends and I study these things and there's a book called First Nations Version, Indigenous Translation of the New Testament. And it's just a wonderful, wonderful story. It tells the story of, of the Bible and it's, it, it, I just commend it to you. So we're going to look at it a bit, but just before we do, I want to say that this last week, Lynn and I celebrated our wedding anniversary. And we were married in 1974. She was 12, I was 13. <laughs> uh, <laughs> nice try. <laughs> so we got married and I says, we, I want to have nine kids. Nine is the perfect number. It's a holy number. It's uh, nine kids. <laughs> is a baseball team, you see, so <laughs> I like baseball, and that was a good number, right? And so we were married, and uh, we did life together, and after about, about a year, I came home one day and, and uh, asked Lynn how she was doing, and I, she was still in her pajamas, and I thought, that's strange, and I said, so how was the day? And she started crying, <laughs> The next day I come home and I, I said, what's for supper? <laughs> so I says to her, why don't you make an appointment to see the doctor? And she, I come home, she says, yeah, the doctor says six months before I can see him. I says, six months for a pregnancy test? She says, oh, I didn't think of that. So we discovered she was pregnant. Her body had discovered it. Her emotions had discovered it. But she hadn't. When she gave birth to Tim, she almost died. And I did the honorable thing beside the bed as we were there. I said, okay, that's one. <laughs> Things not to do, okay? I can tell you. But we've had, we have two sons who are alive and there's four that went on to be with the Lord, and we'll see them when we get there. And the point of it is, is that having a baby is like when the Holy Spirit comes and moves. And I've been praying for you folks here, and I, I kind of, the story has a re reason for it here. Because when you're pregnant, I know exactly what it's like. See, I don't know why women don't get that, that I really understand, you know. <laughs> so what happens is sometimes you're excited, and then you're worried, and you're scared, and, and you just don't understand a lot of things that are going on inside of you. And your, your taste buds change, and your desires change, everything changes. And when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and starts to work in you, that's what happens. Your desires change. Your strengths, and you study different things in a different way. And so, we've been through a tough time. COVID. Paul and Jessica, how are they doing? What's happening? It's tough times. I just want you to know, 
the Holy Spirit is moving. You don't have a baby without getting pregnant. When you're pregnant, you can't grow the baby, but you can kill it. And so it is with the Lord. When he moves and does things, you can mess around with it and wreck it. You can't grow it. But as you study the word, and as you pray, and as you worship, it grows and it grows and it grows. And then when it's time to give birth, the most modest woman doesn't care who walks through the room with the TV camera. Isn't that nuts? sensitivities and desire the Lord is in each of these and what you can do is you can do what Mary did when the Holy Spirit came and said this is what I'm doing and she said behold the bond slave of the Lord I'm a slave of the Lord and I heard you say that some people here and I heard it in the songs may it be done to me according to your word and Mary had some precious time with her aunt, with the Lord and the Holy Spirit, incredibly precious time before Jesus was born. There's a new thing that the Lord has for you, not for him, but for you. And he says to you, you've been trying and trying and working and working, trying to figure out what to do, what not to do. Maybe this, maybe that. And he says to you, Come to me. You're all weary. You're all tired. Come to me. Try it my way. Jesus met with his father. and says, I only do what my father tells me to do. Whatever that is. People ask me, Dave, are you going to do the soccer ministry in Canada? Says, no. Well, why not? Look how powerfully exciting it is. As it's powerfully exciting because it was God's idea. What's his idea here for Landmark? I don't know. There's kids here. There's a plan. There's a strategy. You just don't know it yet. I don't know it either. But uh, we'll pray and God will make these things clear. And when it's the Lord, then you will boast in what the Lord. I just boasted about Rwanda. I boasted with what the Lord is doing. It's what the Lord is doing. I have a job. They just had a national tournament two weeks ago. And they said, Dave, you have to be here. You have to be here. I asked Jesus, do you want me there? He says, no, I don't want you there. Mm, okay. So I wasn't there. But I have a job. I would pray and pray and walk and pray. Middle of the night, two hours of the night, pray, 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 pray. What difference does it make? One man prays. And that's Moses. If we do what the Lord tells us to do, that's the key. 
So the living the life you were meant to live. Now there's a paraphrase here from this book. And it goes like this. Long ago in the time before all days, before the beginning of all things, the great spirit created the spirit world above and the earth below. After that time, our mother earth was an empty wasteland with no form or beauty and great darkness was over the face of the ancient deep waters. The breath of the great spirit moved over the surface of the waters like an eagle brooding over her nest. Creator sounded his voice, let light be, he said, and light was. The great spirit could see that light was good, so he separated the light from the darkness. Does anybody have issues with things like the great spirit or Mother Earth, those words? Very good. The bizarre thing here, okay? Let's ask the Lord if he has issues with them. Lord of heaven and earth, do you have issues with being called creator? Do you have issues with being called the great spirit who is our father? Let's ask him. I've had huge issues with it. It's just, would great be? That's wrong, that's bad, that's demonic, it's satanic. Is it really? If you want to reach the world, Paul says, I am ruled by love. Let's ask the Holy Spirit. Let's ask the Lord what's going on. And the powers that be in Rwanda and the church places are, those are the people that fight us the most because they can't control it. The Spirit comes and you try and control it, you'll kill it. Creator gifted the light with the name day and to the darkness he gave the name night. Then night faded and morning came the first day. In six days, the great spirit made all things seen and unseen. He made the spirit world above and the earth below. He created spirits to be his messengers and helpers. He also made the sun, moon, and stars and all plants and animals. He made the great waters and all who swim in them, the winged ones who fly in the sky, the four-legged ones who walk on the ground, every creeping thing that crawls, all were shaped and molded by his hands. I'm, you know, I know he shaped and molded people, but all of a sudden he shaped and molded everything. Everything. On the sixth day, the great spirit made the first man and woman and placed them in, in where? The Garden of Eden. The Garden of Beauty and Harmony. I want to live there. To be caretakers of the earth. On the seventh day, the great spirit rested from his work of creation, not because he was tired, but because he was finished. The great spirit blessed the seventh day and made it a holy day. So humankind was created to enter into his day and rest and remain in harmony with creator and care for all of creation. This is not a hammer. 
This is what we were created for. To live in harmony with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And to care for everything that is around us. Everything. Children, crops, land, everything. And everywhere we go, we see destruction. And the sad thing is so much destruction is often at the hands of somebody with a Bible in his hand. We need to repent. I've seen a whole valley of corn in Rwanda, and I go, wow, that's an awful lot of corn. And I look, the corn looks like it's all beat up. What happened to your corn? And there's no ears of corn on it anywhere. What's going on? Well, you see some chemical company gave the government a large amount of money and seeds and said this would produce more corn. This how's it going? So we haven't had a single ear of corn. He says, what are you going to do? Well, we're told now we have to buy these other chemicals and things, and then we'll have corn. I says, and your traditional corn? Well, we've always had it. It's always worked. Because it's natural here. And it works here. But this doesn't. Well, I'm not going to try and change the system or the government or all those other things. But guess what? I just need one. Hmm? John Paul is one. I just need one. One farmer. And we ask, why are you doing this? Well, because, because, okay, why? Let's ask the Lord if this makes sense. Because we are stewards of his creation. But the evil snake twisted the words of creator, planting a seed of doubt into the first humans by listening to the snake and disobeying the maker of life. Do you think God would object to being called the maker of life? They brought death with all its bloodshed, violence, and destruction to all generations. And then we have the, the prophets who came and says, God put Jerusalem in the middle of the world, middle of all the nations, so that he would bless Israel, and through Israel, everybody would be blessed. That's the plan. Good plan, right? But Israel says, no, we're special. We're chosen. You're not. You're not. So we go worship in the temple. You can't. You're not special. But even the temple, the design of the temple, the outer portico of the temple, is a place that was a very, very large area specifically for the nations to come. For non-Jews to come. It was there for that. And what was happening there now? It turns into a marketplace where we cheating and stealing and money changing and, and people are not welcome. They're exploited. We exploit people. And God says, I want you to love them. Jesus was born and for 20, pardon me, 30 years he didn't say anything. You know when he turned the tables over? 
he had been at that temple many, many times and seen that. And I'm convinced each time he says, Father, can I put a stop to this now? This is just wrong. Father said, not yet. Not yet. Then he saw them using the law to manipulate and control people. And I'm convinced, Jesus, Father, now, can I just correct them? I want to get up there and correct them. When he was 12, he got up there and dialogued with them. And, and then the father says, no, 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 not yet, okay? Oh, yeah, okay, well, I'll wait. 30 years he waited. I can't wait for 15 minutes. The Lord says, Dave, I want you to pray for this situation, for these people. Yeah, but I've been praying like for four days already. And then I want to go and stick my fingers in it and change it and solve the problem. The Lord says, did I tell you to do that? Well, I can see what's wrong. Then he says, let's see what Jesus did. 30 years. He saw the bad. He knew what was going on. He says, Father, what's going on? This has to stop. Child gets sick and dies. Father, can I heal this child? No, not yet. The odd time the window opens. When Lazarus dies. And Jesus is like a raging power. All the power of the universe is in him. And he says, Father, can I raise him from the dead? He says, yes, but make sure you call Lazarus by name, otherwise everybody's going to get up. (laughs) This is Jesus, and they just saw him as a as a Jewish guy who was a nothing, nobody from nowhere. But he did only what the Father told him to do. So then after Jesus walked on this earth, and the Beatitudes, I mean, the Sermon on the Mount, it should be required, everybody should memorize it. I'm trying. My brain is somehow trying. Because in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus came and all the powers that be and everybody's there and they're trying to control and manipulate Jesus and Jesus comes and what does he do? He, he takes that, the disenfranchised, the weak, the nothing, the child, the one that the culture says is worthless. And he says, yours is the kingdom of heaven. And people listening going, what? What does this do? Because they're all jockeying for position and title and honor and Even the disciples, same old, same old. And after Jesus went, it was the same old, same old, the epistles. It's all about jockeying for position and title and money. Jesus says, try it my way. Jesus walks along and heals people and raises them from the dead, and it just is. You ever prayed for people and have them get healed? People say, why don't we hear those stories? Because the Lord doesn't want us to. It happens all the time. It happens all the time. What did Jesus say when he healed the blind man? Don't tell anybody. Made the lame to walk. Don't tell anybody. Now we say, we should tell people when these things happen. Mm, should we? Ask Jesus. 
just over a year ago, the doctor said, I was on my way to Rwanda, and the doctor says, you have cancer. You've got to take it out. I heard the news on the phone in Montreal on the airport. I got to Montreal, and I says, I don't know if I'll be back. It's up to the Lord. Lord willing, I'll be back. Came back, and he says, yes, it's cancer. Uh, they took out the cancer is uh, about seven centimeters, and they took a piece out this big from my chest. Took out part of my diaphragm, put in a mesh, and part of my abdominal wall, put in a mesh, and some of my ribs. There you go. I've discovered an interesting thing when you take something out of your core, is all of a sudden, your balance isn't the same. <laughs> when I'm thinking I'm walking up, all of a sudden I'm walking down, you know? Little things happen. Are we going back to Rwanda? I don't know. God knows, and he will decide. We want to. We'd love to. Next, this week, I think I get a scan to see whether or not it's still gone. By God's grace, I didn't need chemo or radiation. I don't know. God knows. So then, at the end of Matthew, it's called the Great Commission. That's what we've called it. It doesn't say that in the Bible, the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28, 16. I've heard it as commands, you have to, you should, you better, you should, should words. My wife loves should words. What do you say about should words? They're guilt words. Don't should yourself. Don't guilt yourself. God's not a God of guilt. But here's the thing. We get to. We get to tell people what to do. And they're not going to listen to us. We train in Rwanda. 4,000 pastors. Oh, that must be wonderful and glorious. So we have 125 pastors. And as we start the session, I say to them, and each one has got like 10 churches. They're bishops and whatever titles they have. And I say to them before we start, I says, you know something? Uh, I know that some of you men here, they're all men, some of you men are actually not born again Christians. They say, you do know who we are, don't you? I says, oh, I know very well who you are. I says, I know that after the genocide in 94, there was a, Half the pastors were killed. The other half, 25% did the killing. And the other 25% ran away. So there's no pastors. And people need help and they're in crisis. And you say, and everybody needs a job. And you say, I can do that. I can get a job. I'll do that. And you put up, I'll be the pastor. And so you have pastors. He says, how do you, why would you say that, Dave? What would make you say that? I says, I, I'm willing to tell you that on one condition. Is it true that some of you here are not even born again Christians? As I'm not asking for a show of hands. And then they hang their head and they say, You're right. You're right. What does it mean to be Christian? In Rwanda, 94, it was the most Christian nation on the planet. 90% Christian. 
And in 100 days, you have a million people killed. Christians killing Christians. How does that happen? I don't call myself Christian anymore. Uh Uh-oh. I call myself, I, I identify, I identify as an obedient son of God. I identify as an obedient son of God. People, well, that's Christian. Okay, if that's what you think of Christian, then I'm happy with that. But you see, the teaching of Scripture doesn't say, can you come to faith? Can you believe? Will you accept Jesus? It says, will you obey? That's the issue. Obey. We all want to hear our kids say, yes, I want Jesus in my heart. Jesus says, why don't you shift it just a bit and put the focus on obey? What do you obey? What is God telling you? Let's read a story in the scripture and ask, what does this tell us about God? What does it tell us about people? And what is the Spirit asking you to obey? You see? you, You just can't argue with that, can you? Obedience is the very best way to show that we believe. So the remaining 11 of his followers, because Judas betrayed him, Jesus will disciple anybody. He discipled Judas. He didn't care. Now, we got all kinds of criteria before we'll disciple somebody. Jesus didn't. He discipled Judas. And then there's a bunch of guys on the other side that are, that are busy preaching for profit. They're making money on it. The disciples say, Jesus, look at those guys. They're preaching for profit. They're not even with us. Should we go stop them? And Jesus says, nah, don't worry about it. And then there's another bunch that are busy baptizing, and they're not with them either. The disciples say, should we go stop them? And Jesus says, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. And he tells them the parable of the wheat and the tares. Don't worry about it. That's not yours to worry about. You see, God's got a job to do, and we've got a job to do. My job is to love, to pray, and to share Jesus' love, tell about Jesus' love, not to judge. No. So, There was 11 disciples now. When they saw him, they worshipped him, giving him the proper honor he deserved. But some were still doubtful. Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All the authority of the spirit world above and the earth below has been given to me. So now I am sending you into all nations to teach them how to walk the road with me. That sounds a lot like your title page of Landmark Christian Fellowship, Walking the Path with Jesus. And here's the crazy thing. Jesus is talking to Jews. Everyone is a Jew. There's not one not Jew at this point. Well, maybe Cornelius, okay? Everybody's a Jew. And he's saying, go and tell everybody how to live. Well, how's that going to go? Well, then, so what are we going to teach him? We're going to teach him about what? About how to to be a Jew? There's a bunch that said, that's what we got to do. And he says, no, no, no. You will represent me as you perform the purification ceremony of water baptism with them, initiating them into the life of beauty and harmony, represented in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You will teach them all the ways that I have instructed you to walk in. Then Jesus looked into their faces with love and affection. He lifted his hands toward them and spoke these final blessing words over them. Never forget. 
never forget, he said, as he began to rise up into the spirit world above, I will always be with you. And your invisible guide, walking beside you until the new age has fully come. You're not alone. When we pray for the persecuted Christians, people in the persecuted church, when we pray for people who've been hard done by, you know, money's gone, all those things, and when you read these testimonies or sit and talk with them, as I've had the privilege with many people, and ask them what's most important, they say that God will be glorified. Well, what about bringing back everything that was stolen? He said, nope, that God will be glorified. That I won't lose my faith. That I'll stay strong. And what, what would you like? I'd like to have the Bible. I only have a piece of the Bible. I'd like to get I'd like to have the Bible. I want to read the Bible more and more and more. And then they ask, what's it like where you live? Everybody has a Bible. Really? We can pray, preach anywhere we want. Really? So you must be preaching and praying all the time. And reading and memorizing God's word all the time, right? Because surely that's what we would do if we had the freedom. Now don't should yourself. <laughs> Ask the Holy Spirit what you should do. Living the life you are meant to live. Jesus said, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our abode with him. Isn't that amazing? In John 14, 23... Father, Son, and Holy Spirit will all come and live inside of me. I, I remember the first time I saw that. I said, Lord, is that true? And he said, well, what will the word say? We will come and live with you. In your house. In you. Oh, how am I going to do life? Well, let's do it together, he says. Shall we? Let's just, let's do it together. And as he said that, I have the picture of a of a youngster who is in crisis, difficulty, things happening, and they look up to their parent, and they're desperate, and they look into the eyes of the parent, and the parent says, why don't we go here together? And the children say, okay. It'll be okay. We'll go together. Whatever happens, whatever God calls you to, think bigger than big. Think of the impossible things and then, and then just pray. That's pretty safe, right? And just pray. The life of beauty and harmony in relationship with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Love the Lord, love each other. Then do as you please. Years ago, Lynn and I were youth leaders and that was our motto. You can do whatever you want. To the youth. Do whatever you want. It doesn't matter. Some of the parents says, really? Yeah. Love the Lord with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then do as you please. <laughs> Don't have to have a bunch of rules, do you? Is this loving the Lord? Is this loving people around you? We have to teach people to think critically and to make right choices. That's what Jesus did. He said, you decide. Choose what you're going to do. It's up to you. 
as Joshua says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Thank you for your patience. Father, I thank you for Landmark Christian Fellowship. It's in the heart of this country. Lord, it would seem to me that if you're going to do something, you would do it in the heart. And Father, when you bring correction to churches and Christian fellowships, you always begin with the leaders. And so, Father, I just pray for Landmark Christian Fellowship, the community, the leaders who are here, the ones who are not yet here. I pray for wisdom and discernment. I pray for revelation from you. I pray that this community will be known by its love. Reaching out, helping, known by love. Caring, not judging, not condemning. Father, that the disenfranchised people will be able to Father, I pray for the LGBTQ community that they need love. Father, enough judging, enough condemning. I pray for the love of God to fill us and to move through us for your glory. Father, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.